0: I'm Allie Spears, and this is The Dirt, where we dig deep with those helping to feed the world. Episode 18, Sandy Brock. Well, today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Sandy Brock, who is a Canadian sheep and grain farmer. Um, And actually, I want to point out that up until today... I had not spoken with any Canadians, um, but I actually, you're my second for the day, so that's that's a big day for the Canadians. <laughs>
1: it is, putting, put, putting us on the map.
0: Exactly, exactly. I'm doing my best. Uh, but Sandy, if you can maybe just get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself, and we will uh, go from there.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Sandy Brock. I am a sheep and grain farmer. We live in Ontario. I believe you might have been interviewing Leslie, so she's- yes a few provinces west of me um yeah so we are in southwestern Ontario so we if you drew a line right across Lake Huron we are right beside Saginaw Michigan if you can envision kind of that's where we are and uh, yeah my husband and I run about 1700 acres of grain crops so we grow uh, wheat corn soybeans edible beans we did winter canola for the first time this year and uh, some hay for the sheep and cover crops in between so i feel like we're planting from basically april till october some years and uh some years later if it's if it's a bad fall uh (laughs) yeah so and then uh, the sheep are kind of a new venture the 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 farm was always uh, a grain it originally was a grain farm so always will be probably uh the sheep are a new addition in 2012 and uh, yeah, and it's I kind of been just just trying to figure out life on a, on a sheep farm. I've never, never grew up on a sheep farm, so uh, I've learned everything from, from scratch.
0: Yeah, and with that in mind, I think is amazing for how, mu- how far you guys have come and um, <laughs> the, the presence you have. But did you, like growing up, did you know you wanted to be involved in agriculture? Were you involved in agriculture? How did that all kind of get you to where you are today?
1: Sure. Uh, Definitely born and raised in a barn. Literally, I spent more time in the barn or in our hay or out in the fields than I definitely did in the house, which has proved to be my (laughs) lifelong legacy because this house is, yeah, it's not good. Um, (laughs) That's for another podcast. uh, Therapy. No. um, So yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm about an hour and a half uh, south east of here and uh my family my father's family and my mom's family uh a few generations of dairy for sure and we dad had three girls so uh we were product of the 80s the 80s meant high interest rates and not a lot of help Um, so we were not treated any differently um so yeah lots of fighting with dad lots of mom being in the middle and uh but it it did definitely make us who we are today which is is definitely we work hard we work before we get to do anything which has stayed with me my whole life uh so i can play hard but i have to make sure all the chores are done first absolutely
0: yep Uh, did i always
1: know i i think i always knew um i wanted to be in agriculture Uh, i just didn't know what that would look like i never really did have that strong sense of of how I was going to fit. Um, and you know, I get, I guess for the longest period, I probably wanted to be a dairy farmer cause it's all I knew. And it goes to speak to, we are definitely a product of how we're raised and, and all we know. And I see that more now as, as a 45 year old as, as definitely I did, you know, even, even as a young mom, I still didn't see it, but I see it now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I can relate to that as well. Um, being somebody who grew up in agriculture, but didn't really know, okay, how do I fit into all of this in the grand scheme of things? Um, but yeah, so you, like you said, had a background in dairy and now sheep and I think I read somewhere at one time you may have been involved in poultry too. Um, so with all knowing so much about all of these different species, what are maybe some differences that you've seen kind of across the board and in being involved in these different aspects within the agriculture industry?
1: So right away, uh, the biggest difference in Canada is is uh, the dairy and the poultry that I was involved in, uh, which was the broiler breeder industry, which is a really cool, challenging industry, not, not at all like broilers or layers. They're kind of a, a a marriage of the two mm-hmm. uh, but they're a real science and an art to figure out how to get them to produce well and to keep them healthy and happy so a lot of stuff that I've taken from that from that broiler breeder world I've really been able to use in my sheep uh, business for sure um, I would say right away though the poultry and the dairy are protected a little bit in Canada we we do now we do pay for that protection which is supply management we're one of the only maybe the only country left that that still does have that uh and i know that people in the industry are very happy to have it uh i do miss that protection a little bit but at the same in the same breath i do like the freedom of being able to do whatever we want with our product. we can be as creative as we want we can we can um you know have value-added products we're not really at the mercy of you know we can only produce this for this particular place that it has to go right uh so that's i guess that's the biggest difference that that me as a as a farmer can see there are there years and times that i'm you know that i wish i still had that protection as a family a hundred percent like it would be nice to you know have that backing when you go to a bank even just that and, and all that is is business risk right and Mark and I have just found other ways to to manage risk we we fight for risk uh you know politically, but even at the end of the day i think i think even if we could not have to rely politically or anything on and figure out a way to diversify ourselves so we're we protect our own risk then i think I think that's what we how we look at it now as mm-hmm. as a couple and as a a working partner
0: yeah absolutely that's that's an interesting point um just obviously differences between the two different countries and farming, uh, the industry between the two as well. Um, but how did you guys get into sheep with all of these different backgrounds? How did oh, I know. you know with sheep?
1: <laughs> so I, I'm going to have to go back. I graduated in 1998 from University of Guelph. So I did my agriculture business degree and I met my husband there. He came home a little bit before me. So he was already kind of settled at home, So I knew I wanted to come here to live with him on his home farm. Uh, They were doing grain. He was also, he sold pioneer seed corn, corn, soybeans, wheat. And uh, so he was kind of already established. uh, But when I came home, uh, you know, I, the only jobs really that were available to me when I graduate was like a banker like that was that was the job that all my peers were kind of heading towards and it just that was not my thing at all <laughs> I was like no I like it's hard enough sitting editing videos for hours and hours right. I couldn't I could not imagine being in an office in a
0: bank. <laughs> oh
1: no um and dealing with money no <laughs> there'd be a lot of broke farmers out there um so I just knew that wasn't in the cards for me. His mom and dad had just recently in 1997, at that point when I graduated, had bought a very, very large broiler breeder farm. So it was like 120,000 units, 10 barns, 50-ish employees. It was a huge undertaking. Um, It was in rough shape. And by the time, so by the time I graduated, I kind of had my eye on that thinking, that looks like a real cool challenge. Mm-hmm. And I just literally stopped by their office one day. I'm like, can I work for you? Even if it's for like nothing, cause I just want to work here. And they were like, yeah, we can't afford to pay you much, <laughs> but we, we need the help. And, uh, I was the best experience of my life because we were so close to being bankrupt. Like, like there is no nothing in this world that will push you and show you how resilient you are until your back is right against the wall. And it really did feel like we we uh we turned a Titanic at that point in our life, and uh yeah, I stuck with it for about thirteen years. We started you know we got out of we got out of the the basement <laughs> and uh we actually expanded and grew and then it got to a point where our family was growing marks i was also working with Mark's brother and Mark's dad, and we were all just kind of just drifting in different angles, different interests, and we just sat down and started doing some succession work um, probably the way the way we finally did split wasn't it wasn't a great day uh, but here we are eight years later and we are all um, a family again and happy and it was probably the best decision ever so it was scary at the time um, it was very sad I was very I was not real well for a couple of years after it and now looking back I'm like oh I'm so glad we just ripped off the Band-Aid and did it. Right, so,
0: right. Yeah. The um, growing pains for something something different and something bigger, right?
1: Right, right.
0: So from that, what made you, was there something about sheep that you, that interests huh. you to, <laughs> what made you decide out of all the animals and all the things, I'm going
1: to pick those? <laughs> well, the sheep was my husband's idea. Okay. He, uh, he just, because a couple months of not being in the in the chicken barns uh just helping mark in the fields i'm like i love this but it's not my passion i need to be in a barn we knew anything that required quota was out it was out we can afford it we couldn't get in uh there's a real it's hard to get in it if you don't have ties in it already Um, and just financially we were not able to do it so we knew that was off the table beef cows to me, growing up in dairy, I'm like, I, they're too big for me. Like, I'm such a wuss. Uh, not that I'm scared of them, but I'm like, I don't know what I, yeah. They're maybe. a lot
0: to handle alone. <laughs> they're a
1: lot. And they're, they'd look at me and laugh. Uh, so Mark was like, what do you think of sheep? I always thought sheep were kind of cool. I'm like, sheep? sheep, I've never been on my radar. And uh, he sent me off to a, an, an extension infrastructure course. It was like a two-day course. And we went, started touring some sheep barns. I'm like, and of course they were nice modern barns. And I, and immediately I just felt like, I don't know what click, but I'm like, I can see myself doing this. I can do this yeah. And I just, there was not even a hesitation in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. It was the weirdest thing. Um, and then after I got sheep, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Cause <laughs> oh, it, yeah, it's, uh, There's it was special. not what I expected. Yeah
0: yeah they're definitely um unique that's for sure compared to the other species (laughs) yes
1: yes and really only really only people that have had sheep really can get it but uh um it turns out I I really like them I kind of understand them most days and (laughs) uh and it takes a while but you figure you figure the little creatures out for sure
0: (laughs) so this is kind of a loaded question in some ways but sheep farming on a large scale isn't super common in the United States as far as from a a commercial standpoint, I would say. Um, Most flocks here have some element of like a show industry involvement, Uh, but what really goes into a commercial flock on the scale that you guys are doing this on?
1: Well, definitely we, we looked at the, we looked at the whole operation as a business, right? And and pounds out the door, conversion rates, uh, you know, and just having a healthy healthy flock. So for me, and show people like I I get the show industry, and I get what they're trying to do. I mean, I mean, a show is just literally you're showcasing what you've worked really really hard to make, right? And so I get it. I used to show dairy cows, so I through 4H, so I understand that industry. Um, the disconnect a little bit is that a commercial farm is very, very reliant on those genetics to get to to improve and increase our production on these commercial farms. Because commercial, we're doing the same things. Um, we want the same things. We want good gains. We want you know we want all these things. We're not. The difference might just be, you know, okay, that's Suffolk. I see the potential on the market side, but I don't really care for the way. I don't. I don't want to really feed an animal that big. What's, what would she be like if I, if I bred her to this, you know, little smaller Rito, which is like a polypay maybe to you guys, you know, you start playing a little more with different breeds and you mix them. So that, that would be, you know, purebred isn't like that. Purebred is trying to find those good pure genes on that, on that animal. Um, and I really can't even speak for the purebred industry because I've never been involved with it in sheep. I've only been commercial. Uh, so I guess for me, I just like to find the, mat. I always call it my mat, the magic, the magic animal that um, raises her lamb really well. That lamb can either be kept back for replacement you if she's a she, or she, she or he can grow really, really well into a market lamb within the first you know four months of life. And, uh, and for me that gets the most value out of the acres that we reserve for growing crops and, uh, and the, the quickest return, I guess, I guess is the, is how I look at it anyway. Um, I don't think the differences need to be as much as, as we say they are between commercial and, and purebred. We just have different business models. Theirs is to produce stock for us. Right. to create an end product that our producer and our retail store wants and we want to do it in a way that's quick enough that we're still um it's it's the animal is healthy and um it's economic it's an economical amount of time
0: right and i think people sometimes don't understand the whole business aspect to agriculture and farming and the livestock industry because at the end of the day like you still have to be able to feed your family in order to help feed other families. Right. So um that whole dynamic of it all I think is very important to keep in mind and um it's it's great to have you explain it like that cuz I think it makes logical sense from what you're doing in in your on your operation.
1: Yeah, I would I like when people want to get into sheep I'm like be careful not to just fall in love with the idea of sheep. And I know my channel, like my YouTube channel, I know that's very, it's hard because I have such a vast audience, but if they're, if they're following me and they just want to get in the sheep industry because they're like, Oh, the lambs are really cute. And blah, 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 blah. I'm like, don't start there. Start with a business plan. (laughs) Right. Like start with a business plan because there's so many in Ontario, in Canada that like, it's a revolving door. Of producers coming in and going out, and that's the one fallback of our industry is that it's easy to get in and it's easy to get out. And what happens is, we get in really excited. We want to get in as fast as we can because the market's good or whatever whatever the climate looks like. But we don't take the time to research. You know what what is a stock that would fit me management wise? What What is a stock that will you know that I either want to put out on grass or I want in a barn? What does that look like? How quickly do i want them out the door because our my facility doesn't handle them past a certain age Uh, there's all these factors that have to go in it to make a business decision because what can happen is if you haven't and i mean there's a lot of stuff that you don't even see coming but if those core root values of why you want sheep business wise if anything goes sideways you're out the door because it's easy to get out again uh for me we invested hard and fast. So for me that was I'm, I'm stuck. Not like, I'm not I'm not getting out because I have a lot of bills to pay. Right. Um yeah, so that's that's one way to make sure you're committed is to like go into a lot of debt. Um however, yeah, so I always tell people do the economics first and talk to people you trust in the industry. For sure,
0: for sure and I think that's in in any uh anything within the industry when you're trying to get in and um, obviously you have to make it sure, like you said, it's economical for, uh, yes, the lambs are cute and fuzzy, but you have to be able to feed them and feed their moms and maintain uh, the whole line of supply chain through it all. That's right. So with lambs first of all I would like you to give your definition of lamb as far as a meat product because I think it's very different across the board and it's also very different from what a consumer generally would think of when they hear the word
1: lamb I know it's the stupidest name I don't know who <laughs> who made a a baby name the same name as a like a like almost With a full grown animal that you're right. going to eat so beef cows did it right like their cattle calves and beef Right. Like that, that like, why haven't we thought it? And no one wants to eat mutton. We got to just make mutton cool, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, but it's not. Uh, so yeah, the, the weight that I ship my lambs. So in Ontario, there's different weight ranges. So there are lambs for certain cultures. They do prefer a lighter lamb. So, so you are looking at like a weaned lamb. So probably around 50 to 60 pounds. Um, but those ones could be, they, a lot of those are two months old. So it's not like they're lamps, like on mommy. Yeah. Fresh Fresh on the ground, 50 pounds. If you can think of 50 pounds and then, and then there's ranges, almost like 10 pound ranges up, up to about 120 pounds, say, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm at the higher end. So I, I call mine heavy. So they're usually about 105 pounds is kind of my goal, live weight. Uh, So, so that is, That's how big they are. And if you think of a mature you, like a mature you in my barn is, is probably 150 pounds, 150, 160 pounds, like a few years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're three quarters of the way there. So, and I think that's what consumers don't really understand with, with uh, most processors, the stuff you see at grocery stores, most retailers like to buy lamb on a, like those heavier animals because like, you're processing, you're getting a lot more meat for that one animal that you have to process. Exactly. So it doesn't make sense to to do a 50 pound lamb because you're only going to get you don't have much meat on a 50 pound lamb. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And for you guys, is it a specialty market um, or like how, how is your meat, I guess, um, put into the mainstream of the supply chain?
1: Sure. So where I am uh, is kind of a, it's, it's kind of a success story really for Canada. We are really close to Toronto. I'm only about uh, two hours West of Toronto and we have, an enormous demand for lamb because we have we have a lot of immigration in into canada a lot of uh, first generation second generation new canadians that lamb has been their staple food even like where they where they are from their 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 country their culture uh some don't eat beef obviously and so it's it's a real there's a there's a lot of potential and I guess that was part of the reason we went into it because it was one of the only markets that was still besides poultry that's still kind of on the rise right um yeah so that's kind of a success story for Ontario so most of mine most of mine go to there's nothing really special about it I literally I like to sell mine I like to fill my trailer because again it's it's economy it's business uh I like to keep my freight down and you can only do that if a lot of them are ready at the same time to go. I take mine to a sales barn. So so I don't take mine just directly to a packing plant. I have been involved in some direct to direct to packer uh buying groups. Mm-hmm. The problem with me it was just a little too far. So my my freight was getting too high and our auction prices were were competitive. So I've I've just continued to go to my auction barn. It's only half an hour drive, 35 minute drive and I can do it after my day. Uh, so it's, it just works out well for me, but I do love the direct to Packer programs. It's, it's a little more, again, it's that managing your risk and doing that internally instead of relying on government or relying on other people to do it. So they're pretty cool. We've got two producer, producer, uh, run, uh, direct to Packer groups that are doing really, really well in Ontario and that's, you know, producers saying, I don't want to rely on other people. I want to make this happen. I want to help other farmers. So I really love, it's such a success story.
0: That's awesome. That's a really cool, um, kind of facet of it. Cause it's very different, I think from United States. Um, obviously we have lamb and all of that, but I think it's a little bit more, I don't want to say mainstream, but it is a little bit more kind of, I think in, um, it sounds like in your area and, uh, for what you guys are doing. Switching gears a little bit, you mentioned filming the trailer. So if whoever's listening or watching is unaware, um, Sandy is a YouTube sensation in my book. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) never feel like that. (laughs) She uh, shares her story on YouTube. So my question is,
1: how did you decide you were going to start doing that? Uh, YouTube has been, it's, it was always kind of on the back burner just because my kids, my kids are now, uh, almost 20 and 18. And I mean, they grew up watching YouTube. That's all. Mm-hmm. They never really watched TV after, after Dora the Explorer and, and, uh, like SpongeBob were done. There was like no need to have even a satellite for, for, uh, TV. So okay. they were always on YouTube. Uh, so it was always kind of one of those, I, I didn't understand it. I'm just yes. like, what are you watching? Oh, I'm watching this family. I'm like, oh, who who is it? And it's like, no. I don't know. They're just ran a random family. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't get that. So it's a weird I, dynamic. <laughs> it's so weird, and I can totally. Yeah. Anyway, and now that I'm <laughs> in it, it's like I can see other people having the same reaction, uh-huh. and then five years later, that's all you watch is YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I guess that it was an early implant of of that YouTube has my kids' full attention for hours out of time and it and so I just kind of put on the back burner um and then just playing around with apps on my phone right like so if everybody starts with Facebook and then you go over to Twitter and then uh my kids are using Snapchat so I kind of went over there because of this whole videoing thing mm-hmm. and I'm like so I just started playing with it playing with the filters just having fun with it and just bringing it to the barn and because sheep are ridiculous and they yeah. they're just they're fun yeah. And I started to kind of grow a little bit of an audience and they just wanted to know more. And I had all these DM, like all these conversations like, and I was like, there's something to this. Uh, and then it just kind of from there, I started watching, I actually started Googling like farm women vlogging YouTube. Mm-hmm. And there was not Nothing. like, there yeah. wasn't a lot. And I'm yeah. like, cause I, I only wanted to see like what they were doing and I'm like, why, there's no one in the space, what is going on, um, and then I reached out, I reached out to uh, Cody Creelman, who's a vet in Alberta, and not thinking he'd ever respond back, because it's one sure. of those things, you watch their videos, and you're like, you're totally <laughs> invested in their family, and I'm like, oh, he'll never answer me, well, he totally answered me right away, he's like, I, I was, he's like, oh, I follow you on Snapchat, and then he's like, he's like, you just have to start, And, uh, so I I played around for months, probably a year before I actually posted a first, my first video. Cause I, I hated it, (laughs) hated my voice. I hated my face. I'm so animated, like, oh, and now I'm so used to it. It's just like, whatever. But so that's kind of how I got started. I just kind of was playing around with other apps that, that you can erase as soon as you do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, oh, I can't post that. And I don't know. You develop some really close relationships just virtually by doing that. And my goal and my mission with it all is for someone to watch me on film, meet me in real life and not know the difference. And that to me, that to me is real. And I think that is what our consumers and our, you know, I don't even like calling them our consumers, just our friends that like to, to eat what we make or even just to follow the story. Uh, it they're our community now and and that's been my goal from the from the start is just to to really develop a community instead of so so instead of um being fearful or scared of what we're doing because we're not talking about it, they have empathy because we 're taking them through the whole thing and uh, it means yeah I think that's how you connect with people is you you can't like I look like this every day. Like I, I don't get dressed, and for those I do, I, I don't begrudge that either. But I do want it to be me. Right. Like I don't want to be any different online than I am in real person, because that's in in real life. Because that's where we run into trouble.
0: Right. And I think that's exactly what you said. Where the connections, um, I think people have to feel like they can trust you in order to invest themselves in, um, obviously your content and everything, but kind of buy in on what you're not really trying to sell but yeah you are trying to sell your product and your lifestyle and um what you're you're trying to build a business on um so i think trying to reach and what we always people in agriculture always talk about you know we need to reach the consumer we need to figure out how to burst through this bubble and it's such a hard thing but i think if you attack it in the way of i'm trying to burst through this bubble it makes it a challenging thing when like you're exactly like you're doing you're just being you and sharing your story and being real and making connections. And that's the best way to share what, um, what you're doing and what.
1: Well, and I think you've got, you've got something there that we keep being drilled that we got to break through our whatever. And it's like, ask yourself why, right? What is it you want? Is it just to be loved by you got to earn that Mm -hmm. because there's been enough people that represent us or that do really kind of crappy things that we have a big hole to dig ourselves out of. So decide what did it, what is it that you want? Are you going to go online and just defend everything that your industry does when sometimes some of the stuff is not defendable, right? You got to be very, very careful. And I guess I sit back and watch other people. I give people credit for trying to take on the world. I look at it differently because i feel like everyone okay there's vicious people that just it's it's not worth it mm-hmm. because you start you you're you're focusing attention to people that that don't deserve your time so you know i sit back a bit and uh partly that and i'm just really sheepish i don't like conflict and i don't like i don't like but i do think that you can reach them in different ways and And I think at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, what is it you're wanting to do? Like you're making content to break out of your bubble to do what? Exactly. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do for me? From the very beginning, I just want to tell a story. I want to be a storyteller. I want to write a book in real life in video form, because I don't have time to sit and write a book and I get too distracted. Um, So that's kind of, that's where it has started um and as as the community grows and the people get to love you for who you are and they they become your cheerleaders they then tell you what they want Exactly. So, yes i don't have to make lamb and i don't have to make socks and i don't have to make a wool sweater if my people did not if they if they're not asking for it Yep. so yeah, like last year we, we did black beans for the first time. We harvested some black beans and people are like, Oh, we put black beans in everything. Would you would you ship us some? They're asking for a product that we never in a million years, that's not why we grew it. We were just gonna yeah. grow it, grow it as a commodity, ship it out. It's like so then the wheels start start turning. It's like, well, could we vacuum like could we package it, put our label on it and ship it because it's a dry product? Sure we can. And we've got people that want it. So all of a sudden these these little Advantages of all this work of connecting and answering comments and answering DMs—it means something because you're actually providing them with what they've asked you for, right? And they're not even 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 content. They're not going to click and follow you unless they're asking for that. Like everyone else will just skip by and go, well, "Yeah, you're a crazy sheep leader, whatever." But some people are like, I want to see what she's doing today.
0: Right. And that's yes. Yep. Well, you have to have some level of investment, right, to, to hit the follow and continue to follow somebody. I mean, it's just as easy to unfollow somebody. So. That's
1: right. That's right. And that took me a long time to, to realize. It's like I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And, and I have to really – in my mind's eye I always have to, when I'm writing a post or when I'm doing a video, I have to always, in my mind's eye, envision the person that wants to be there. Mm-hmm. instead of focusing on oh I have to be a certain way in case in case my friend so and so is watching I don't want her to take it the wrong way or I'm like she's not watching like just let's just focus on those ones I can see in front I don't know you just get like a yeah. mind's eye i have and I have to do that mentally because I just it can be really hard
0: yeah, that's an excellent point. I think it's easy to get kind of caught up in what everybody else is doing in the image everybody else is trying to portray but just Kind of trying to stay true to what you initially started it for and um, reach the audience that your goal is to reach I guess
1: that's right, and it's hard when you're in a growth mentality all the time too because my problem is the people that I watch on YouTube is to help me with my channel so they all they do is talk about growth 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 yeah. growth, and then I go to my analytics on stuff and I'm one of these self defeatist people like if if I see arrows down' i'm, I'm done Everyone hates yeah. me. Yeah. It's like, no, they don't like that video. Yeah. Move on. Make one for make your next video. But I get so stuck in I'm like, oh, everyone hated it. It's a bad thumbnail. It's a bad content. <laughs> and like I should probably am not in the right business because it's probably gonna drive me crazy. Or <laughs> um, but but that's the problem. So then you get into this growth, and it's like farming too. You get into growth, 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 growth. You gotta you gotta do this and you gotta be on this hamster wheel. And after a while, like Mark and I are at the stage now, we're like, we don't want to grow. We want to get better at what we have. We want to, we really want to just, you know, do what we're doing better. And I think the same thing, I'm trying to, I'm trying to have that same mindset in my YouTube channel. You know, you've got a, I've got a huge audience who love me. I would rather have people there who want to be there instead of blowing up and having all these trolls that i don't want there i don't have the I do not have the skin to to be thick enough to to handle that so i have you have to be really careful when the stuff you watch is all about growth or you see other creators just blowing up and you're like you're like oh well that 's what I want actually you don't probably yeah. you yeah. really do want to just um, you know service the people that want to be there
0: right as long as there it's a meaningful um, kind of connection, I think then those sometimes are are more impactful than the mass quantities of them.
1: Yes. yes, for sure.
0: Changing gears just slightly, you mentioned, you know, it's you want to tell a story and you want to be a storyteller. So you actually did write a children's book though, correct? Right. Um, and A long so time ago. Quick, Can we just maybe quickly um, touch on that um, and what kind of your thought process was behind that and why you decided to do that? Sure.
1: So it's funny. The book is funny because I use humor when I'm, when I'm feeling really vulnerable. That's kind of my thing. Like (laughs) I'll just, I'll just try to be funny when I'm feeling nervous or I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling a little lost. Um, And I literally like when you're young, when like I guess when I had young kids and I feel like I was here and there and everywhere, I just didn't feel like I was doing anything well at all. Like, Felt like I was failing at being a mom, fail at failing at being a manager of the chicken barns, failing at being a wife, failing at helping him in the fields when he needed help. And, and you just feel this constant pull. And my mom, I'd, I'd visit my mom once in a while. She goes, oh my God, you should write a book. And I'm like, I should. And I literally sat down and just wrote a poem, basically. And I'm like, that's going to be a children's book. And I, like, I did it in three days, maybe. And then my friend is an artist. Not an artist, she'd never call herself an artist, but I think she's an artist, but she knows me, and she knew me at, at that state in my life, and I said, "I want you to make me as messy and crazy as you possibly can." so she sketched it, and i just I went to a local printer and I just said, "I want to make this into a book." so they just printed it into a book and uh and yeah it's it's yeah, it's a quirky little tribute to where I was in my life um and looking at it now, I mean, it's, it's funny and lighthearted and, and, but I know the state I was in when I wrote it and I I wasn't actually in a very, <laughs> in a very good state. So right. it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny thing to see now. It's like, oh yeah. Funny. to look you. back on. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so last kind of question to wrap things up here. Um, but what is your favorite part about being a woman in agriculture?
1: <laughs> My favorite part. Um, it's most definitely not like, I love that we have a a group of women that are very proud to be women in agriculture. I just, this whole women in agriculture, I'm like, we've always been in agriculture. Like I, I grew up, I literally grew up in a barn. We did all the chores. Like I just, I, I feel very, I feel very not hypocritical. I don't know the word. Like I, I feel very phony saying those words because I feel like it's a bit of a tribe right and I feel like an outsider because I just don't I don't see myself as the like you know that kind of person and yet I've had my email is full of messages from 12 year old girls who so I connect with 12 year old girls apparently (laughs) who are just like they're like Really, I really love your YouTube channel. I want to be a sheep farmer when I grow up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's got to be something there. It's like, and maybe it's just the fact that they can relate to me because I'm not a guy, I guess. But, and that's the biggest thing about being authentic and not being any, not putting on a show for the camera because I've got all these young eyes on me and I want them to see, like when I cry, I want them to see that that's a part of it. I want them to see that you're not dressed up, you're not it's not a glamorous job. Half the jobs you're doing, you're in up into your knees in dirt and manure and grease, and they still want to do it at the end of the day. And so for that, then I'm, I'm very proud to be a woman in agriculture. Um, but I get very, I get very sheepish just talking about what that, what that means because I've just not known anything different, but I get but I've talked to so many women in the industry that have definitely different experiences and that's, I'm just naive to it. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, developing networks and relationships with the women that have had to really blaze a path for us. Um, I get it. I appreciate it because, uh, thank God my dad wasn't like that. Like, I just, I, I think I'm a very lucky woman to not have had the challenges that a lot of women have had and still have. Um, so yeah. And I've only surrounded myself with men that believe in me. I married, I married a man that, that I work side by side with that doesn't treat me like I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was raised by one. So I, it's, it's all on your experiences and, and how you were raised is, is how, how it embeds in your brain.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think you, you pretty much just hit the nail on the head with that. I think it's exactly what you said. It's your experiences. And um, I think this whole women in agriculture movement, and if you want to call it that, I don't know, that sounds very strong, but um, uh, it's, Personally, I think it's about showing women that they can be involved and they don't have to just be a farm wife, where uh, that is a super important role on the farm, but there's so many more things that you can be involved in and um, not to be afraid to kind of uh, speak your voice or share your voice and um, find your kind of role in your operation or agriculture as a whole. So um, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Sandy, I want to thank you for your time today. I know you're busy with Harvest and everything going on. Not yet. Well, we're starting, right? We're starting, getting
1: close. (laughs) We're just waiting for the weather. We're finally getting the rain that we needed in like July. So of course, that's when it happens.
0: Yeah, we're getting in here too right now. Um, But where can people connect with you if they want to um, kind of follow along?
1: Sure. Uh, YouTube is the thing that I'm kind of—that's my bread and butter, I guess you could say. So if you can subscribe, that would be great. Uh, Total vanity metrics, so you don't have to subscribe. That's for my own. That's for my own ego and uh, self defeatism. And Instagram—I'm usually there every single day on my Instagram stories. So that's that's the best way. I usually try to get back at DMs once I get through my list. On the no- notification right. <laughs> icon, which I'm not very good at that, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's the best way to get me Instagram and YouTube for sure. Perfect.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sandy. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dirt. Don't forget to follow us on social media at AgChicks and that the visual version of every episode can be found on YouTube on our AgChicks channel. We'll see you all next time.